The theme for the evening talk is detachment or non-attachment. Just recently I was reading a, a passage in a book on Buddhism and um, the author was um, uh, somewhat... Um, <coughs> Um, critical, and what he focused on was the area of detachment, and his concern and criticism was that um, Buddhism nourishes and cultivates and encourages a detached view of life, and that people engaged or connected with uh, uh, practices, Buddhist practices, are um, encouraged through their practices to detach themselves from their emotions, from their uh, thoughts, from bodily experiences, and in fact from life itself. And then uh, he used as a kind of a social confirmation of this, um, monastic life and sometimes the rather uh, uh, severe uh, appearance of um, monks who sometimes seem to show a, a very detached view of life. And I can uh, recall one person here saying to me who went to uh, listen to a uh, rather well-known um, Buddhist monk that in and through the duration of the retreat with him um, he didn't uh, see this monk smile uh, once and that the only slight glimmer of a smile came was that the monk was giving a uh, talk late in the morning and he uh, was just running over into the lunch period and a fellow monk, senior monks often have an attendant and so his attendant monk very uh, quietly and reverentially turned to him and uh, just whispered that uh, it was lunchtime and this brought out a very minor gesture of a smile from the senior monk and that was all that the yogi had seen in the, in the time of the retreat. So these situations and stories tend to circulate. Um, rather, um, <laughs> my people like me. <laughs> but the odd and the peculiar thing is that the word uh, detachment doesn't appear at all in the Buddha's teachings. And that the word which is translated as, as detachment in the Pali language is viraga. And raga means lusting after. Viraga means the absence of lusting after. And somehow, 
in translation and in the course of time and with the use of uh, language that has gone with it, it's become and come to be called detachment. So the teachings are not teachings at all of detachment, but they are teachings in which a human being is free from the need, the compulsion, the addiction, the tendency towards lusting after. It's the absence of lusting after. With um, the process of awareness, mindfulness of a conscious life, in fact, if anything, it's not so much a detaching ourselves from, a pulling away from, but in fact, it's much more a getting closer to. And we highlight, as we see through the days here, particular features of our life to gain a closer intimacy with. That closeness and intimacy with breathing, um, uh, body, the fields of experience, means in fact that we are not so alienated from, not so detached from, but actually the consciousness is willing to take genuine steps to get access to, to see and be close to what really is happening with ourselves and the way that that manifests in our day-to-day -day life. In that feeling and connecting with our experiences, one of the features which arises, of course, is the presence in life of self. The touching, the experience of self manifesting into consciousness, and it's the condition of self, the condition of oneself, one might say, the condition of I, the condition of ego, that's where much of the interest takes place because the condition of that obviously not only affects our relationship to the world but the condition of oneself is also affected in various ways by the way the world comes to us. So the manifestation of I, the coming together, the forming together of I is a feature of any worthwhile spiritual practice. This appearance of that, of I, of self, seems at times to consume and be totally consuming. As though we can't hear the, uh, the birds whistle, we can't see the loveliness of the nature, we can't recognize the uh, things of life which make up life, because at times the, the presence of I, the formation of it emotionally or intellectually or through mood or state of mind or whatever, consumes all of consciousness. And so there is nothing but I, 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 me, 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 my, 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 and everything else that becomes the top of the hierarchy of life and everything else is secondary to that. In such an existence, in the priority of I, then it gains a momentum in life which places 
I, self, in the center of existence. Even though we know, you and I know, that I, whoever the I is, whoever it is, it is not the center of existence. It belongs to existence, it manifests from it, it it's connected with it, but it's not the center. And the centralization of I not only has significant personal consequences in life, but also social and global. The prioritizing of the me culture. So sometimes there is a reaction to this. The reaction may show itself in some teachings as trying to be detached from. The reaction to it may show itself as trying to get rid of. I've got to get rid of my I, or rid of my uh, uh, ego, or I've got to transcend it. Or some will use the language of um, uh, discover my higher self. All of that world, in a way, can be a reaction to the presence of I and sometimes its manipulative presence. What will allow I to fall into place? Thus, it's not an extreme of affirming it and consolidating it and making it the center of existence and nothing else matters. Yet, it's not falling into the other extreme of trying to deny or refute or get rid of, but to see it in its place, see it in its relationship to everything else. What will reveal and show that? Somewhere in all of that, what is necessary is the discovery of viraga, the absence of lusting after. Because in the mind which lusts after, whatever that might be, whoever that might be, wherever that might be, nothing can be seen but the object of pursuit. It's all-encompassing, all-absorbing, all-embracing, all-suffocating. Everything else is blinded out through the potency of the human mind to lust after, to chase after, to try to get and can't see anything else unless it either supports what the pursuit after is or it sees what seems to be stopping it. And life gets restricted to that movement. You can only see what's preventing me from getting what I want, or I can only see what's enabling me to get what I want. This is the raga of the mind, the lusting after of the mind. In our relationship to our inner, 
inner movement that takes place. We are trying and exploring what it is, in fact, to find some space in all of this. And that finding of space allows and enables a human being, enables us to pause to see what it is that we run after, what it is that the pursuit goes for. And that means that if, and during these days, as sure as sure, there will be a number of people in the hall here who know there are specific issues occurring in one's life which are very concrete, which have very clear content uh, to them, in which the present feeling at the time is it's unresolved, that there is a movement taking place from inwardly in sometimes the struggle to try to resolve. So there's an object of interest, there is a perception of it to it, there is a relationship to it, and that relationship can keep triggering struggle, keep triggering waves of thinking around the object of interest. And we find ourselves sometimes quite helplessly going over the object, dwelling on the object again and again and again, and thinking and hoping and imagining and wanting its resolution. It can be an expression of raga, lusting after a solution, lusting after an answer. And what, what is the real interest in the lusting after? Is because the absence of the solution, the answer, the gain, is so much trouble. Understand? There's an object. And one wants to solve that object, that problem. One wants to achieve that, to accomplish it. And there is a gap. The self is experiencing a gap between oneself and the object. And one wants to bridge that gap, to come to an answer, to get what one's pursuing, whatever. And the gap isn't being bridged. So in the gap comes agitation, restlessness, emotion, confusion, uncertainty, self-doubt, other doubt. All manner of things can come when the self, the I, experiences a gap between itself and what it wants. It needs the gap for the confusion to arise. The sense of something is missing, something that I haven't got something which is troubling me. That movement in spiritual language is called raga, the lusting after. Maybe a material thing or a mental thing, spiritual thing, it doesn't matter. And we imagine in the delusion that human beings have 
and perhaps collectively share, the delusion is, if I get the object which I pursue, no matter how fine, noble it might appear, if I achieve, if I get to it, and therefore I have a bonding of myself with what I want, therein will be the solution. There's no evidence for it. No evidence at all. This is the great delusion of moha, as the Buddha would say, the moha of life, this lusting after for those miraculously who succeed in what they lust after, who have a unifying factor of self with its object of interest, the bonding takes place, one feels the grace of that, the benefit of that, in the peace of that, but actually it's none of that, really. That bonding of the self with its object and getting it is, in fact, the relief from the struggle. It's not peace, it's a relief. One has spent days, weeks, months, years, whatever it is on, and one's finally got to it and there's a relief, but the relief is going to be temporary. It has to be. Because the object is finite, it's defined, it's defined by what? It's defined by the self, by the I, the me, the lust. And thus the very sensation of the self in its fusion with its object, it begins to fade away. That object fades away the sensation that it's providing, the glue and the connection that it's providing has to, by its character, fade. And then fade to what? Fade to the next object that appears on the horizon, born out of the ashes of the old one. <laughs> and one's life goes through this again and again and again. And its success is called pleasure, Failure is called pain. So teachings are saying this movement that goes on of the self trying to unite itself with its object and the perpetuation of that through, through existence, the, the cycle of that, the, the roller coaster of it, the ups and downs of it, is that what we're doomed to? Is that our plight, our, our lot in life? And if it isn't in that way, is it that sometimes the self is in that period of, of transition? One has succeeded or failed, they're both much the same, in terms of the past situations. And the old hasn't brought that fulfillment, that what it ought to have done or was expected to, and no new object has, has appeared. Nothing to really get into, which is a more polite way of saying lust after. <laughs> and thus there is a, a period, but that period of time in which there's nothing new to pursue can feel to be a waiting period and an unknown um, period, uh, an uncertain time. It can feel extraordinarily uh, uh, 
in insecure and so, so often and understandably the self requires the object for its confirmation. It needs something to po focus on and it likes something to focus on then it can feel to be something and someone. And if that drops away then a person can feel very empty and lonely and lost and isolated and forgotten and, and a very painful response to existence. So as I say, sometimes one feels there's the self in the pursuit of object for a fusion or there is a fusion with the object and what may come with that or sometimes there's no clear object, no clear focus or direction and one is in a period of, well, let's see and then let's see what comes next. All of these relationships to life, to objects, to focus, we become familiar with. But in the familiarity with those forms of experience, I still say, is that it? Is that what we are confined to? Is that what, in all the um, uh, exaggerated use of choice, that in fact there's not much choice, because choice means object, and object means self, and self means pursuit of object or rejection of it. So the choice factor is a very, it's the, the amount of choice that uh, uh, a canary has in a cage. So we ask ourselves, what, what is this? Where self becomes so central, made to be so central, formed to be so central, and its, and its construction of things, and the way it's been constructed, constructs and it's the way it's been constructed. It's a, a two-way street in that regard. And there might be, and hopefully there is, even in just listening to teachings, let alone with or without meditation, some inner intimation within which says, which knows, it can't just be that. Life can't just be that taking place for each and every human being on the earth. That, that those movements hopefully can be with skill. Hopefully can be that the relationship to self and object is free from struggle, free from pressure, free from being driven, and that one can acknowledge that world which human beings agree seems to be a world which is the everyday experience of it. But not in a way which says discovery and fulfilment is found in and through that relationship. Not to fool ourselves and think through bonding with an object that itself is the supreme purpose of life, goal of life, realization of life, discovery of life. So when we allow, and allowance is a major theme here, 
when we allow ourselves to be steady. That allowing of ourselves to be steady means that we can allow that movement to show itself. And it gives and provides for us a little bit more space. That little bit more space that it offers may temper the kind of movement that we engage in. We may not be and have the wish or the need to rush after. Even though the new object has got multiple colours and multiple interests for us and seems different from other objects which have really grabbed our attention in the past, but we've got enough space to say, just a minute, it's not going to be that different. The movement's not going to be that different, the result's not going to be that different and the spark will just generate into another pursuit. So in our willingness to provide and give each other and ourselves a little bit of space with regard to the movement, the element of space begins to have a significance. That significance may, 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 may make way for a creativity which is not born of object. It comes from somewhere else altogether. And the self can't, doesn't think in terms of me, object, and getting it for me. Which in a way, in the deepest sense of things, is the very suppression and denial of what creativity means. Because it's an, in, an entrapped creativity, canary in the cage. How creative can it be in that? So the element of space is an element of space in which there is viraga, in which there is the sense of the absence of lusting after. This sense of the absence of lusting after or a space puts in fact a spaciousness around our existence. around the whole sense of who I am and what I am doing with my life and what my priorities are, the, the space around it begins to take on a significance of greater importance than the self and the object. And if that is happening, one is not only knocking on the doors of liberation and an enlightened life, but equally knocking on the doors of a, of a delightful uh, creativity of life, which is in accordance with the nature of things and not with, the in, not with self and its object. So spaciousness, the element of space. And one of the factors that we see that the pulling back <coughs> from the world, <coughs> the, <coughs> the detach, <coughs> pardon me, the detaching of oneself from the world isn't going to do anything. Withdrawal doesn't do anything. Because in the pulling back, in the very nature of human existence, the pulling back will only, in the letting go, spring us back forward again. 
haven't we seen enough situations in life where people haven't understood what letting go is, haven't understood what renunciation is, haven't understood what sacrifice is, haven't understood what being without is. So they've pulled back from all of that, whether it's monasticism or whether it's prison, much the same, in fact. <coughs> Voice of experience on one side. <laughs> that in the pulling back and people come out of a situation which is detached in that way, only to find themselves throwing themselves with incredible verve and, and enthusiasm and lust for anything that the world can offer. Detachment, detachment, pulling back, deprived of, absence of, and voluntarily or involuntarily, chosen or not chosen, it's much the same, because the effect without wisdom and without spaciousness is to be propelled back into the very thing that one took oneself away from or was taken away from. Therefore we say, what is the spaciousness around which the self and its object must fall for discovery and creativity to flower in its all of its beauty? The presence of self and its relationship to object known or unknown isn't, no matter what we might say and think of ourselves, isn't always that strong and that potent and that powerful. And we're not always caught up in the machinations of, of self, of I, me and my. That it is, like anything else, say, conditioned phenomena which appears and it takes a form and it takes a movement and it takes an object for its interest known or unknown, certain or uncertain but all of that shows itself the very fact that it shows itself that human beings can talk about themselves, ourselves, the very fact that we can do that shows there's some space What can we say when the, when the hand is about the palm of the hand, when it's pressed up against the eyeball, it can't say anything? What's it like? How many lines have you got in the hand? Ah, some space. And the space allows to see more clearly. So there's an element of awareness which allows to see the appearance of self more clearly, the very proof of it that we talk about ourselves. We explain what's happening to us. We try to articulate what we're feeling and what we're thinking. We try to express what's going on with the bodily life or whatever. It's all a living proof that there is a space around which all this is formed. All this is held in. If there was no space, there would not be a possibility of sharing and communicating and, and to the best or ways that we try to. This element of space is a liberating element. 
So I say, when the teachings speak of uh, viraga, the absence of lusting after, not any withdrawal from uh, the world, it's not any life-denying way. The, the teachings have never uh, uh, said, said that. And where one hears those uh, voices, as one does in the Buddhist world, of those who speak of detachment, to say, well, let's just view an opinion and not to treat too seriously, because there's a way of being, and that way of being, rather than speaking of detachment, in a way it's one of a non-attachment to. Therefore, there is a close connection with, there is an inter intimacy with life. One fills the experience of life, watches with interest the thoughts, looks into uh, the bodily expressions, takes a care and concern with the space and the interconnectedness, really puts oneself fully and wholeheartedly into life. And in that, with that awareness and spaciousness, seeing where the attachments lie. What is one holding on to? Because the holding on to, the attachment to, the grasping to, is only that which can build up self to make it the centre. Understand? It's the process of the relationship of self to object and making self the centre of existence can only be where there's the movement of holding. And holding puts self in the centre of life and therefore it's a fiction, a fictionalised life, an untrue life, a mistaken life, a, a deluded life, a misunderstood life. Therefore, I say, with our uh, spaciousness and our ability to witness it and to be close to all that goes on in life, in that spaciousness, the self finds its natural place. It's not denied, it's not cut off, it's not transcended, but it's not obscuring that liberating discovery of life that self exists in relationship to. That spaciousness is liberating and the beautiful element of its, the liberating discovery is that in that liberating the fear of life, change and death goes out because that fear belongs to self. Not to that spaciousness which is revealing the movement of life. All of this, I say, we can see and discover here. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings abide expansively. May all beings know the taste of liberation. Let's have two or three quiet minutes together, please.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.